I would like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Atusa. Thank you so much, and thank you to John for asking me to be here tonight. My name is Atusa, and I am a compulsive overeater. Hi, Atusa. Hi, friends. And, um, gosh, I think I'm just going to stick to the format because there's so much uh, going through my head this evening. Um, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I am a, well, just to get some numbers out of the way, I guess. I'm coming up on seven years of abstinence, uh, May 12th, which is right around Mother's Day. Um, one day at a time, I, my top weight was close to 200 pounds. I had clothes that were size 16s, and I'm, today I'm in a you know, fairly comfortable size 10. Um, imperfectly, you know, some days are, are great and wonderful and I'm just grace. The food doesn't call and, you know, it's like, do I even have this disease? <laughs> you know, and then um, some days I'm just in the depths of it again, you know, and, and the solution is always the same. You know, it's back to basics. It's meetings and God and you guys and honesty and steps and, and, and you know, the recipe hasn't changed, but... Sometimes I forget, you know. Um, so I was born in the early 70s in the Middle East, in Iran. And uh, when I was four or five, my, my uh, parents left. They went to England because um, there was a big uprising there. And uh, they felt it would be safer for us to be elsewhere. So we all left. We went to England where I had an uncle. And that's all I had was an uncle and an aunt and three cousins. And... Um, you know, they were very English. They, they had been in England for many, many years, and I was four or five. And, I, you know, everyone around me was very white, and I was very much an immigrant, um, very much an immigrant. And, um, you know, from the get-go, I would say I had this feeling of feeling different, feeling excluded, feeling not a part of. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, in school, like I was, I was like the darkest shade by like many, many shades, you know, um, and and like racial slurs and and you know just whatever it is. Growing up as a kid, kids will find something to to pick up on, whether it's your weight or your freckles or you know. Um, and for me, it was my weight, and it was it was the fact that you know I was not I was not a white girl, and you know, I think it just fed into this feeling of, of feeling different. And I lived many, many years like that um, in the countryside of England going to school. And I also come from a, from a home where my um, father was an alcoholic, gambler, classic addict. Uh, my mother was a compulsive overeater dieter. And I came home, you know, when I was 13, and I found her lying dead on the floor. You know, um, she had been on diet shots. And I guess in the early 80s in Europe, people were injecting themselves with, like, cow urine or pregnant cow urine was supposed to make women lose weight. So it was these high-protein diets with pregnant cow urine shots. Um, and, And women had heart attacks from them. You know, people had heart attacks from them. So she would lose like dozens of pounds in a very short period of time eating. I mean, I remember like the plates with lots of lettuce and chicken breast, you know. And then I also remember like Kit Kat bars in the afternoon. And I could never, 
quite understand, you know, and whenever I was around her, her friends were talking about weight, and, oh, you've lost so much weight, and then, she, you know, God bless her, she'd say to me, can you tell I've lost weight, and I'd just be like, well, no, <laughs> you don't look any different to me, you know, so I just, I fed into the, into the weight thing very, very young, and I also found a tremendous amount of comfort in food tremendous amount of comfort in the food it it always was always there it always tasted the same mm-hmm. never tossed back um, and it it was it was like me and me and the food you know we had this intimacy going on um, and it was in secret you know it was shameful and it was secretive and it was private and it was lustful I mean it was like it was like having an affair at a very young age you know um, with my substance, and to this day, it's funny, like, if I, if I go to a restaurant, you know, I will pick the booth that is in the darkest, most corner part of the restaurant, you know, um, because I want it to be this private love affair, you know, I don't, I don't want to have outside seating under an umbrella with people walking by, you know, I'm just not interested, um, and so that's what it was, and I think I started using the food at around the age of eight or nine, um, always not feeling a part of and needing the food to coat the nerves, you know, as my, as my grand sponsor says, take the edge off. Um, and that's when I started gaining weight right around the age of nine. And I also, you know, I also have a history of, of you know, abuse in the family, which is, you know, something not, you know, that a lot of us are very familiar with. Um, my father was extremely abusive. And after my mom died, um, you know, I came home from school, I found her, and, and life just turned, you know, there. I mean, talk about life turning on a dime. Um, and it was weird, because even as, as a little kid, you know, other than feeling less than and different, I always knew something bad was going to happen. Like, something bad is going to happen. I just know something bad. And like, most kids don't go through life thinking something bad's going to happen, <laughs> you know. But I had that, like, addict fear of, Something bad's going to happen to me, and I know it's going to happen to me. And sure enough, when my mom died, I was like, see, I knew it was. I told you it was. You know, so it made me just, like, not trust life. It, it made me, you know, grow in a way that made me not trust life. And, of course, after she died, I turned to the food a lot. You know, I mean, I remember the day of her funeral, like, eating, like, shrimp salad out of my aunt's refrigerator you know at the age of 13 I didn't even eat shrimp you know I kept kosher you know <laughs> I was eating shrimp salad and then covering it up and making little mountains look the way that they were supposed to and and you know stashes and stashes of chocolate and and it just came very very young for me you know people talk about disease setting it in their 20s and their 30s for me it was prepubescent you know seven, eight, nine. um so she died, and within a month, we changed the country. We, we moved here, um, which is just crazy. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I hope I'm never put in that situation, but I, I don't think I would change the children's country, you know, after having this, this huge upheaval. And we moved to the States, and we came and we lived with my, um, with my grandmother and my grandfather, who were just the most loving, beautiful, amazingly gracious people, um, and my father, who continued to um, drink and womanize and abuse me and gamble and take my grandparents' money, um, you know, and all those good things. And, you know, by this time I was like 13, 14, um, <coughs> starting in a new school. And here I was, I went from like, 
being the only Middle Eastern girl for miles around. You know, and then they put me in like Beverly Hills High School, which was like 70% Persian. And I was like, wow, you know, like I'm, there's a lot of me here. Like people speak my language, people are my religion, there's not this kind of racial tension. And still, I didn't feel a part of, you know, and I didn't feel a part of because I was the only one in the class without a mother, I was one of the only ones that was heavy, and I had this, again, this feeling of being an outsider, being different. Um, And so, you know, I went through high school, I ate, and I ate, and I dieted, um, and I was a latchkey kid, and, and I would come home and just rate the refrigerator, you know, people would kind of, like, I'd see my aunt, like, and I could hear them. Well, what's, you know, freaking going on with me is that maybe someone needs to listen to what is happening in my life. You know, like, I was raising this younger brother, still being abused by my father. By this time, we'd moved into this little, you know, two-bedroom apartment, not even in Beverly Hills, so I had to, like, lie that I, like, where I lived. My friends would be like, hey, can we come over after school? Well, no. Um, uh, no. You know? <laughs> well, why not? Well, you know, and I'd make a million reasons, and my friends never came over because to go to Beverly Hills School, you had to live in Beverly Hills, and we had, like, you know, weaseled our way in um, with a fake address and, and whatever, and it was just, again, feeling like an outsider, you know, um, so, and, and I think my disease got really bad when I started driving. So, 16, 17, and it was like, you gave me, like, the carte blanche of, like, I didn't have to wait for anyone to go to the market anymore. I didn't have to go walking anywhere. I drove myself, you know, to, like, every single store, shop, convenience store, fast food, place that I wanted to. And it was never, I wasn't, like, a particular substance um abuser like I just needed bulk and volume and really really high fat um I'm a high fat addict um so like the high fat dairy and the high fat you know um you know like frozen yogurt just never did it like it had the sugar but it didn't have enough fat you know like um so I just continued to to gain weight and then and at this point, my family was just getting kind of really worried, and my aunt offered to take me to Weight Watchers, and I went, and, and I, I did my amends to her a few years ago because I would take the $8, which was like the Weight Watchers fee to get in, and she'd say, okay, sweetie, I'll see you at half an hour after the meeting, and I'd be like, okay, bye, take my $8, go down to the convenience store, <laughs> buy all this food, and then I would hide, and you know how like some stores have this inlet um, like this kind of inlet thing and I'd go like hide inside the inlet I would eat $8 worth of whatever I could buy and then I'd go back to Weight Watchers meeting and have her pick me up how was the meeting? great you know did you lose weight? uh huh you know and poor loving aunt who every week would drive me she had four kids of her own you know doing the best she could and then after a while she was like well how this is really working for you honey I was like, well, I don't know why, you know, <laughs> you know, and and then you know, my dad like sent me to this like, god awful nutritionist, and they were like wrapping me up in these like moist towels and putting me on this machine that vibrated, and they would like measure you before and measure you after, and 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 you know, every night I did kind of work for a little while, you know, it did, but it wasn't the core of the problem. Um, and then I, I tried anorexia, and I was anorexic for about four months. I ate absolutely nothing except for Diet Coke, 
and I think I would have dinner and go to the gym for about three hours. And at this point in, in Beverly Hills history, the, um, the teachers went on strike. So I had a car, and I didn't have to go to school anymore. And I had parents. I mean, my dad remarried this like, alcoholic woman, and, you know, we went from, it was me and my brother, and she had three kids, and we lived like five kids and, and two addicts, and, you know, it was like this gnarly setup. And, and they had an apartment upstairs, and they had all the kids alone downstairs. I mean, talk about, like, addicts. You know, it was like this this crazy life and I had a car and I started getting interested in guys and you know fell in love with this guy when I was like 16, 17 and you know got, got really thin in a very short amount of time I went like into the 140s never weighed in the 140s ever ever I think I skipped the 140s altogether. Um, and so that's what I would do. I wouldn't go to school. I wouldn't eat. I'd have Diet Coke and I'd work out. And I started getting attention like you would not believe. And it was like, wow, look at a Tusa. Like she became really hot in the past couple months, you know? And it was like, this is it. Look, I've got the key to fitting in. You know, I finally know how to fit into the scheme of life. It's by weighing in the 140s. And um, I think I weighed in the 140s for about literally 45 minutes. I mean, I, I think I got on the scale. It said, like, 140 blah, blah. And I was like, you know, and I went home and I ate. You know, and it, and it was like it was right near Thanksgiving and we had all these leftovers and, like, the 140s were gone. Um, and the anorexia was gone, you know, and I was back into the compulsive eating. I think I gained about maybe 30 pounds in a month or two. And then people were like, but I went to Tusa. Like, you know, I was baffling people, you know, um, and my teachers and my cousins. I mean, I just... So anyway, I, I got married really young. I got married right out of high school to this wonderful, like, loving, sweet man who God put in my path. And, um, you know, I was, I was drunk at the time, you know, and I don't mean drunk with booze or alcohol. I mean, like, drunk with food and self-hatred and self-obsession and all of those things. And, and this man fell in love with me, you know? Um, and so I dieted again for the wedding, and I, and I gained all my weight back in the honeymoon. And, you know, I think at one point, and I, I kid you not, our mini bar bill, without alcohol, I mean, I wasn't drinking those little bottles. It was like macadamia nuts and whatever the hell else is in a Hawaii mini bar. Um, our mini bar bill was more than the hotel bill you know, one one night. And, and and we weren't staying at the Motel 6. I mean, it was like, and my husband was just like, you know, like we'd have dinner at one place, and I'd be like, let's go somewhere else for dessert. And he'd just be like, okay. You know, and he just watched me like balloon up, you know. Um, came back from the honeymoon, um, you know, tried to do life as a, as a married woman. And I was awful. I mean, I was an awful wife. I really was. And then I, I had a kid, and I was an awful mother. Um, I had her when I was 19, and I was crazy. I was crazy. And I think my biggest defense to her, to my oldest daughter, is, is just to, to learn how to be a mother, you know, at this point. Um, so I think you guys have a glimpse of, of you know, what it was like. And, um, again, binging and dieting, going to college, you know, full-time with a one-year-old, um, hating everybody, hating myself. At this point, I had told my family about the abuse. Nobody believed me. They were like, yeah, 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 you're lying. You know, we don't believe you. 
Um, and so health, you know, another reason to eat. And, it, you know, my husband would, like, buy, like, Stairmasters and treadmills and put them in the living room. And, and, I mean, he was doing his best. And at one point, I sat down and I said to him, I said, I think I have an eating disorder. And he was like, no, sweetheart, it's just about willpower. I was like, look, I have a problem. And I went and I brought this diet chart. And I was like, look how I lose weight and look how I gain weight. And he was like, hmm, yeah, that's a little weird, but it's all about willpower, sweetheart. Why don't you use the Stairmaster? You know, just use the Stairmaster, you'll be fine. And again, he was doing the best he could. You know, I mean, he was, you know, really doing the best he could. So... My daughter was three at this point, and I had just graduated from UCLA, and um, she was going to this little preschool in La Cienega, and I became very active in the PTA. I became PTA president, I think, or something. Anyway, I headed the candy drive um, at this school, and um, by the time I was done, I think I owed the school something like $72 in $1 candy bars. And, I, you know, I was very cash register on it, so I paid the school and I ate 72 candy bars, you know, in like a week. And I told my friend Rose, and she was like, you ate 72 candy bars? I was like, well, not all together. I think I had like 11 or 12 at one sitting. <laughs> and she was like, you had a dozen candy bars in one sitting? I was like, uh-huh. She was like, well, didn't you feel sick? I was like, No. You know, guilty, ashamed, hateful, hated everybody, wanted to die, yes. But sick, no. Um, You know, I think you need to go to OA. And she told me her story. She was, you know, she was my Eskimo. She 12-stepped me, and she wouldn't let up until... She was not attraction rather than promotion. This woman was like promotion rather than attraction. And she was like, did you go? You know, did you go? Did you go? And finally I went. I went to the Thursday Harvard 630 meeting. And I think I kind of came late, and I sat in the middle-ish back corner. And for the first time I heard people speak what I was speaking. You know, what I was feeling, the, the shame and the feeling different and the self-hatred and, and all of those things. And I was like, wow, like, like people get it. People really get it. So I, I tried to get a sponsor, but I was really never successful. Um, I think I was crazy. I really think I was crazy. Um, I didn't have a big book. I didn't really work the steps. I ate three meals a day, and sometimes the meals were as big as this table. Um, but it was the best I could do. You know, it was the best I could do. Um, and I started hearing recovery, and I went every single week, once a week, to this meeting. Um, and I just listened, and I got, a lot of, I got a lot of healing out of it. But I wasn't getting any thinner. Um, but something was shifting. Something was shifting. And so I got pregnant with my first kid, with my second kid, um, and I relapsed. And it wasn't like this relapse that was like, I'm going to binge. You know, it was very subtle, and it was very slow, and it was very, very insidious. You know, but lo and behold, I gave birth to this child, and I was, I was pretty huge. And... Um, There was a lot. It was very painful. It was really very painful to not fit into my clothes. I had this newborn to take care of. You know, I knew enough about OA that I knew I had to go back there, but I was, like, too ashamed to go back. And it was just really hard. And so I called Jeannie, 
don't know if any of you know Jeannie, but I called Jeannie, who, who scared the hell out of me. I mean, this woman, like, really scared me. But she's one of the only numbers I had. And she had recovery. I mean, she talked about, you know, losing 120 pounds and her size 24 is still in the garage waiting for her, you know. And I was like, why do I need to call this woman? So I called her, and I was like, hey, you know, Jeannie, just had this baby. I think I've relapsed. I'm, I'm huge. I can't, I can't stop eating. I can't stop, you know, hating myself. In the meantime, I tried Weight Watchers again and failed again. I was on their, um, their like, nursing mother's program. Um, and I was, I was failing at it. It was awful. And she was like, well, you know, sweetie, I'm full. I can't sponsor you right now. Um, but here's a number of someone who can. And I was pissed off. I was like, here I am. Like, I didn't tell her anything. But I was like, here I am calling this woman in desperation, and she can't even sponsor me. Like, you know. Um, but I was, I was miserable enough that I called the number that she gave me, you know, because I couldn't, I couldn't sit in the misery anymore. And, you know, I was wearing these, like, big sweats. I was nursing. I was, like, out to here. I had this, like, baby on my shoulder, like, the pantry door open. Um, it was ugly. It was really, really ugly. And, and like, Passover had just finished because, yeah, my birthday is in May. And I had just, like, binged on, like, a big box of matzah. And, I mean, it was just really ugly. I had, like, crumbs all over me. And I called this woman, and she wasn't home. So I said to the person who picked up the phone, this is my first name, this is my last name, please have her call me back. And I think I called their house like four times, you know, <laughs> in that one day, like, just so desperate, have this woman call me. I hear she lasts four years. I want to hear how she does it, mm-hmm. you know. And so she called me back later that evening, and it was like, I was so happy to have her on the line. I was like, if you're abstinent, I want to know how you do it. Like, just... Just give me the recipe. I'll do anything, you know. And so she was like, all right, well, here's the deal. You know, my name's so-and-so. I have four years of abstinence. Um, you know, I have 30 pounds weight loss. I didn't even really care about the weight loss at that point. I just wanted to hear how she stayed abstinent. Like, how do you have freedom from this disease? And um, she said, okay, I can sponsor you. I'll sponsor you for 30 days. Um, and let's see how it goes. And after 30 days, we'll talk again. Um, in the meantime, I need you to come up with your own food plan. Your food plan is between you and God. I'm not going to tell you what to eat. I'm not going to tell you what not to eat. Um, you come up with your food plan. Um, three meetings a week. Two service commitments at every, at, you know, every week. Um, pick a home meeting so that when you're not there, people will miss you. And will call you and ask you where you are. Um, one literature study during the week. Study the big books. Study the traditions. Um, and you need to call me consistently. And it doesn't matter if you say you're going to call me twice a week or twice a day. What you say, I'm going to hold you to, is what she said. And then she also said before she hung up, you know, I'm not your mother, I'm not your banker, I'm not your therapist. She said, I'm your sponsor, and I will guide you through these steps the way that I've been guided. And I was like, fine. And I wrote everything she said down. I think it was like on the back of a cereal carton. But I, I wrote it all down like a, like a treasured recipe, you know. And I said, I'll call you every morning at 8.45 after I take my daughter to school. And, 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 and I called her and she was there every morning, 8.45. It was like a Pavlovian dog. I was like, I, was like, I need to call my sponsor at 8.45, you know. And, and for years, you know, I don't call her at 8.45 anymore, but 8.45 is still a really sacred time for me. Um, she's still my sponsor, you know, seven years in. You know, we have, a, we have a great relationship, and she has just 
she's been a guide through the steps for me and I have I really have a life beyond my wildest dreams I really do you know I my grandmother passed away um, last Thanksgiving um, really sudden and it was it again it fed into that old childhood fear of I know something bad's going to happen and I remember the night before was my daughter's um, 13th birthday and I had borrowed this truck from a friend that seated like 20 people and I was taking like 17 13 year olds to see Harry Potter and I'm like driving this big old car and they're like singing and they're crazy and I was thinking like wow like life is pretty good like this is really beautiful I'm abstinent I'm in a normal sized body I have these kids in the back I have a loving husband you know and the next day my grandma died and it was like you see as soon as I start to feel good, something bad happens, you know. And it just, I think it, it elicited that childhood fear in me a little bit. Um, and it's been tough. You know, I am um, probably seven, eight pounds heavier than I was last year at this time. I don't want to tell you guys that. You know, I, you know, I want to tell you guys that, that everything's fine. My food looks great. And, but it's been tough, you know. It's... Um, I'm also back in school and the anxiety of, you know, tests and children and sitting on my butt studying for hours and I've started teaching and it's just, it's kind of a lot. But I think that aside from the activity factor, which my activity has been like cut in half, um, it's that old childhood fear has been ignited that something bad happened. You know, good was happening and bad happened. And I think as a result... Um, I've been coding the nerves a little bit. And, and you know what? It's like, you know, it's like Jeannie says. You know, honey, in abstinence, we gain weight one abstinent meal at a time. You know, one abstinent meal at a time and you can gain weight. You know, it doesn't have to be a huge binge like it used to be. It doesn't have to be 71 candy bars. But just a little bit extra at every meal and the weight will start creeping up. And I can tell you that the shame and the self-hatred that I had a glimpse of this past week was I called my sponsor and I was like, tell me how it's different now than how it used to be because I feel like I'm in the depth of this disease again. And she said, well, you know, why don't you tell me how it's different? You know, why don't you tell me? And yesterday again someone told me, why don't you tell me how it's different? You know, and how it's different is that I have a level of honesty that I've never had in my life as a result of this program. You know, people used to tell me, um, you know, people used to, like, raise their hand or take a candle and be like, you know, so-and-so, grateful, compulsive overeater. And I'd just be like, grateful, compulsive overeater? That is so nauseating. Like, (laughs) I feel like grateful, you know, bullet in my head. You know? (laughs) I truly feel like the, the life that I have been given as a result of being an addict um, and learning recovery in these rooms is is like nothing I could have been taught anywhere else. You know, um, <clears throat> the level of honesty that I have, the the friendships I have, the the self knowledge that avails me nothing that I have. Um, you know, it's just it, it's a different life. And I know before, if I had put on seven eight pounds, you know, there was no such thing as seven eight pounds. It was straight to you know, 40, 50, 60 pounds. And then again, Monday morning, I will 
You know, I don't have another Monday morning left in me. You know, I just don't. I can't do another diet. I can't starve anymore. I can't do Diet Coke all day. Um, and so, you know what? She said, she said, honey, you lose weight one meal at a time. You know, one meal at a time. Just, just look at your plate. What's going on? Um, and the road's got narrower. You know, my abstinence is no binging. I don't drink coffee in any form, not decaf. Um, not in a cup, not in a mug, not in a blender with ice and other crap in it. Um, and I don't eat butter or margarine at all. And, you know, that's been solid for seven years. I have not, I have not binged for seven years. Um, and that's huge, you know, because I was a huge binger. Salt, sugar, salt, sugar, fat, salt, sugar, crunchy. You know, the combination of like... I say this all the time, like, I am a food pharmacologist. <laughs> I can, like, put together legal food substances that will, like, put you in a coma, you know, or at least put me in a coma, you know, um, just the right amount of salt and sugar and crunch and fat, and I'm out, you know. Um, and I noticed how I was doing that in abstinence, like, wow, like, hmm, Chinese food kind of does that, huh. Okay, interesting. So, you know, it's like the road's getting narrower and I'm, and I'm noticing that white flour is becoming a bit of an issue. Um, yeah, white flour is becoming a bit of an issue. And nothing in between my meals is becoming a bit of an issue. It's gotten a little sloppy. You know, it used to be nothing in between my meals. I could have as much diet snapple and water as I wanted. You know, it was nothing between my meals. And it's just been like, oh, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, and so that's what's going on today. Um, I have three kids. My last baby is an abstinent baby. Um, we had an absti- you know, abstinent pregnancy. Um, and she's just phenomenal. She has a spark in her. I call her like the abstinent spark, like abstinent pregnancy spark. Um, that my other kids don't have. You know, she just, I mean, they're all amazing. But this little one is just something else. Um, you know, at one point my husband, you know, before I became abstinent, he, he really thought I was having an affair. And he sat me down and he's like, where are you? Like, you're not in this marriage. Like, if, there, if there's another guy, like, why don't you just tell me so that it will alleviate all of my, my thoughts and my anxieties or, or either I can get out of the marriage or you can get out of the marriage or we can dissolve this thing. Um, who's the guy? And I was like, I'm not, I truly was not having an affair with another guy. What I was having an affair with was the food, the self-obsession and the self-hatred. And just this couple of days ago, even, even yesterday, it was tough. Like, I saw this T-shirt that said, um, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You know, and I was thinking, you know, that is, that's true. Like, in my family, in my life, if I'm absorbed in my body, in my food, in my self-hatred, in my shame, I'm not there for anybody. You know, I'm not there for my husband. I'm not there for my kids. I don't want to go. My dad wants to have a water fight. I was like, I'm not in a water fight. You know, this disease, like, the self-hatred and the humiliation of this disease um, makes me not even want to get into the shower. You know, like, I don't even want to feel my body. You know, I don't even want to, I, I just don't want to exist. You know, never mind get into a conversation with you or find out how you're doing or what's going on in your life. Um, and so... You know, this past week when I had a bit of a hard time, I was thinking, God, it used to be like this all the time. It used to be like this all the time. And I've just had a couple days of it, um, and it's actually beginning to lift. But 
how could I have lived like this all the time? And my poor daughter for having a mother like this all the time. And my husband and, and all my loved ones. And, and when I made my amends, and I have worked all, all 12 steps, um, like two and a half times, I think, or one and a half times or something. But I have worked them in their entirety. Uh, I did a rigorous fourth step. I think I'm due for another one. Um, and when I made one of my amends, I apologized to this one aunt for my behavior. And, you know, amends are taken differently depending on who you take them to. And some people were like, I don't know about it. I don't even remember. And she said to me, she said, she said, I'm used to it. I don't expect anything different from you, you know, is what she said. And it was really, really painful. And I went back to my sponsor and I said, do you know what she said when I apologized for my behavior? And, and my sponsor said, is that the only information that she's had? Have you only ever behaved that way with her? And I mm. said, well, yeah. She goes, well, then she's right. And until you, until you act differently, that's the only information she can go by. You know? Um, and with that ad today, like, I have a relationship that is based in love and trust and honesty. And we've just really been there through the death of my grandmother. It was her mother and my grandmother, my mother's, mo- my mother's mother, who raised me. You know, and it was really tough to lose her. It was like losing two mothers. You know, I told my aunt, like, you guys lost one mother. I lost two mothers. You know, and I think it's just kind of brought up all of that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have, I have friendships and conversations with friends and family. Um, people say I love you before they hang up to me. You know, no one used to say I love you before they hung up, ever. You know, my husband barely said I love you. Um, you know, I have a marriage that I work hard at, that he works hard at, that's not perfect, you know, but it's as perfect as marriages come, you know. Um, I have an incredible relationship with my kids. Um, I have a level of clarity that I never had when I was in the food and the dieting. You know, the clarity, the intuition that I have, um, that little God voice that says, "Mm, I don't know, let's wait a second. You know, this program has given me a pause. It's given me a pause between my thoughts and my actions, which I never had before. It was like thought, action. You know, want the food, drive through. You know, want to say something mean, say it. You know, and now it's like, hmm, there's a pause. And that, that, that's the God pause. For me, God lives in that pause. And I'm just going to end with, you know, for, for many, many, many years, I always asked old-timers, um... How do you explain bad things happening to good people? You know, I just don't get it. And good things happening to bad people. Like, this baffled me. And I kept asking, you know, every time there was a question answer, I kept asking this question. And finally, an old-timer pulled me aside, and she was like, there's no answer to that question. Okay, it's faith. Okay, you have to have faith. And, and life does what life does. You know, we're given what we're given, and recovery gives us the tools to deal with what we're given. And so I stopped asking the question, and lo and behold, an answer came to me. And I'll just share this with you, and this is purely my opinion. It's not OA. Um, what came to me was that, you know, we all take, everyone in the world takes from this well. Okay, this big well. And we all have to take from it. We have no choice. It's called life. Okay, this well is life. And I can do good things. I can give service. I can be loving. I can be a good person. And the water in the well will, will, will purify as I do this. And people do bad things, and, and the water can become kind of ugly. You know, and, and the more good things that I do, 
the more likely it is for this water in this well to be better and cleaner for everybody. So it's not like, well, I do good things, but I keep getting bad things. You know, that's the luck of the draw. You know, but the more good things that I do, the more likely it is for that water to be a little bit pure. You know, and so when I put my cart back at the shopping, you know, at the market, or when I smile at the cashier, or when I give the valet two bucks instead of a dollar, you know, or when I put money in the basket, or when I answer that phone call to that sponsee who just keeps calling, um, slowly, you know, little by little, I feel better, you know, and that's what I've learned is that one right action leads to another right action, leads to another right action, leads to another right action. So by letting that driver cut in front of me and saying, hey, no problem, go ahead, you know, I can then turn around and not yell at my kid. You know, I can go home and have an abstinent meal. When my husband comes home, I can have a smile on my face. And the, the reverse can happen. You know, I can, you know, curse at the guy, yell at the kid, you know, get home, hate everybody. Um, and I'm back in the food, you know. So it's like one right action at a time, things get better. And, um, yeah, coming up on seven years. So if you're new, you know, it, it doesn't always look perfect. It hasn't for me anyway. Um, you know, I've been thinner, I've been heavier, I've been saner, I've been insaner. But I just keep showing up, putting my butt in the chair. So something's got to happen, right? Thank you for letting me share. Five more minutes? Cool. I can take questions if you'd like, or we can... Yeah. How was your, um, thank you, by the way. Sure. It's actually the first time I've ever heard your story. Yeah. Um, how was your, was your um, perception of God before you got into the program, and how has that changed? Okay. The question is, how was my perception of God before program, and how has that changed? Um, my perception of God before was, I think it was, it was just that typical kind of, um, you know, God who judges everything and keeps count of the good side and the bad side and kind of consolidates it all at the end of the day. Um, and I don't really look at God as an accountant anymore. <laughs> you know, God's not like a, like a DCPA. Um, I think that God is a power outside of myself who very much lives within me. Um, and, I can, and I can turn to God at any point. He's no longer this outside you know, this outside thing, but he has become very much internalized. I can turn to God anywhere at any time if I just get quiet. Um, And I don't think I ever could get quiet before because the noise in my head was just so loud I couldn't get clear with anybody. Um, So I think that that God, for me, lives in the still of the moment.